when you look at my story, there's really no ingredients in this story for success. And so that's what I want to let the world know. Um, it doesn't matter about your environment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you've experienced and what has been done to you. There is healing after that. There is redemption. You're listening to We're Still Standing, presenting the voices and experiences of young people who were caught up in our juvenile justice system. In season two, you'll hear lessons learned in lockup that encourage all of us to live with greater authenticity. Subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We're Still Standing. This is part two of an incredible conversation with Nick DeJarnet, who was a successful businessman, job creator, speaker, husband, father, and an inspiration to anyone who hears his journey from lockup to leadership. If you haven't listened to part one of episode five, you may want to go back and start at the beginning. When we met a few weeks ago in Boston, you were with Miguel who the two of you were in DYS together, the two of you were in adult prison together. And and to see the two of you in that uh, meeting we were in in Boston, I, my heart was so warmed. Like this is the, the, the generation of leaders who are making the difference, who will go back in and bring the light to young men, young women out of these same kind of places. And I'm just thinking back to, you know, you breaking in to that garage and building a fort at age eight with your friends. It wasn't a breaking and entering in your mind, though that's what somebody wrote on a rap sheet somewhere. That, you know, you've got this community that you were developing in Norfolk Prison and that you still are with uh, others that you're journeying alongside with. And it isn't just me and God. It's, you know, what's this tribe God's put me in with and then uh, how does he want to use me in the in the greater space? And I, I love how he was doing that at Norfolk. Absolutely. You're not doing a lot different than you were doing back then. Uh, that was that was taking place at that same time as well for you. And um, I'm just thinking about I, I, the back of the sweatshirt you have right now that you had printed. Not only did I learn how to play the game with the hand I was dealt, but I used that same exact hand to win. Yes. <laughs> so you, you printed that on, on a sweatshirt that you're wearing. Not only did I learn how to play the game with the hand I was dealt, but I used that same exact hand to win. What does that mean? Well, so when I when I tell my story, um, it's, it's I guess you can categorize it very simply. So having murderers in my immediate family, having a mother as a as a prostitute, father as a pimp, both of them being alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, I have a, a brother 10 years older than me who actually was, was charged with two murders. I have a brother who's two years older than me. When he was 17, he shot a man seven times in the chest and the back. And then I went to prison for shooting a man and for trafficking cocaine. So environment is very important. Um, environment is what makes things. If you want to you know, plant a rose or any flower. The environment is very important. The soil has to be rich. All these other things. Um, so what? So yes, environment is important. But also, even if you even if you haven't had the best environment, even if your environment was limited, you you can't allow that to stop you from excelling in life, 
from being the best version of yourself that you could possibly be and going forward. So when you look at my story, uh, and, and, and we only got into a few different things here, but when you look at my story, there's really no ingredients in the story for success. There's no ingredients in the soil. There's no ingredients in the environment that says this is going to be a success story. Mm. And so that's what I want to what I want to let the world know. Um, it doesn't matter about your environment. Mm. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Uh, it doesn't matter what you've experienced and what has been done to you. That there is healing after that. Mm. Um, there is uh, redemption after that. There is deliverance. So that's what I stand for. So that um, quote that's on the on the back of my sweater is is something that I put together because I don't believe in excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that God can do amazing and wonderful things. I believe that He takes things that are less than and He and He does greater things with them. And so that's what that means. It means that regardless of what hand you know you've been given in life, you can take that hand and and you can win with the same exact hand. Yeah, and so um, so that's 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 something that um, that I came up with. Yeah, um, you I, know, just, I like just because that. of that. Yeah. And on the front of your sweatshirt, it says "loyal, ambitious, and relentless." Absolutely. So I'm thinking, you know, you said there was nothing in that soil for winning, and yet, you know, loyal, ambitious, and relentless. Those are traits that I think only come out of really hard times. You know, I often think of young people coming up through the juvenile system, very slow to trust, but high on loyalty. When you find somebody and you smell somebody out, there's a long time loyalty, relentless. That comes from real adversity. You don't know relentlessness until you've kind of come to the end of yourself, like you were saying at age 22, and ambitious. It's finding something within yourself, not in relying on the environment around you. So, I mean, those three words that you carry on the front of your sweatshirt, to me, speaks of something forged. You know, we talk about gold and precious metal. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold, Job says. Uh, It comes in that furnace, that crucible that uh, makes people. It doesn't make everybody. It can destroy a lot of people. But um, it is... an environment that God uses to form character, which is actually the word dokami is a Greek word for refined precious metal, you know, which I, I see when I see you. So I, that environment had something to do with the forging and the forming of who you, who you are as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I learned it firsthand. There's a scripture that says, I believe it's in James, that says, consider it pure joy. Yeah. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops uh, perseverance, yeah. and perseverance must take place in order for you to be made whole, made to be made complete. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, consider it pure joy. And so that was a hard thing for me. I'm like, how 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 is any of this fun? Yeah. Um, how can I consider it pure joy? But I got to I got to see what life produced, yeah. and and I wholeheartedly believe that that you know. God was watching over me throughout the entirety of it and make and keeping me safe. Yeah. Um, my my life could have ended up in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, and so I believe at a very young age, and, and, and I believe God used to tell this to me uh, when I used to ask God, like, how can you let a, 
a child suffer as much as I've suffered? How can you let any human being yeah. uh, suffer as much as I've suffered? And he would always tell me that your your pain has a purpose mm. and that um, your life is much bigger than yourself. Yeah. So I'm really just starting uh, to, to, to walk into that aspect of it yeah. and seeing how uh, my life and, and my experiences can be used yeah. to not only win for myself, but to help others win. Yeah. So, are your mother and father still alive? Have you connected back with them? What's yeah, What's my, the story with your family that you were you were born into and yeah, so my, my father passed away a few years ago, 60-something years old. He died uh, while incarcerated, mm. going in and out of jail, still at 60, committing crimes, still at 60. My mother, she's still alive. She has a lot of scars, mm. um, and she still struggles with drugs and alcohol uh, to this day. Sometimes she does great, and sometimes she doesn't. But yeah, I mean... I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, I don't live in Worcester, Massachusetts. I moved away from from all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So uh, when I got out, I actually moved out to Boston. Uh, I went to Boston with two suitcases of secondhand clothes, clothes that people gave me, and I went into a homeless shelter. Mm. That's what I was willing to do um, to get out of Worcester, Massachusetts. And from there, I had gotten into a career development program uh, called MAP out in Boston. It's called the Moving Ahead Program, where I started to learn about, like, you know, computers in the sense of, like, sending an email. Mm-hmm. Sending it. Like, I never touched a computer, sent an email. When I, back then, when I was incarcerated, you know, almost 20 years ago, like, there was no texting. There was a lot of the stuff. And yeah. So I had never touched a, a computer or a laptop or anything like that. So I learned some basic skills, how to write resumes things like that. Got myself back into Boston University. I was doing it for four years while at Norfolk, but I was only doing it part-time because of all the other things I was involved in. I also uh, kept a job while I was there in prison, um, as well as all the other things that I was doing. So the four years that I was doing school was only equivalent to two years Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I I was going Mm -hmm. part-time. And so when I got out, I got myself back into Boston University, still had two more years to go, did that on the outside, and graduated in 2016. Yep. And so, um, yes, uh, I started my my business, my first business in 2012. And yeah, just, you know, hit the ground running from there, you know. Yes. Say a little bit about that because you you have four or five businesses now. And where that came from? So, (laughs) so my, my landscape and home improvement company which uh, clearly brings in the most mm-hmm. um, for myself at the moment. I had no idea that that was going to turn into what it turned into. I had a job when I started the company. My my sons were actually coming from the West Coast. And so I said, well, listen, I, I need more money to be able to, to take care of my sons. So that's why I started the landscaping and home improvement company. And again, my intention was just to make some extra money on the side, cut yeah. some grass, um, I started the company with a lawnmower in the back of an SUV, and it has now grown a lot <laughs> yeah. over, over the years. Um, but I didn't expect it to. 
and I and I see when I look back on things, I see you know where God's hand was throughout all of this. I had gotten a job at the Salvation Army Ray and Joan Crock Corpse Community Center in Boston when they first built it out on Dudley Street. And my, when I got actually interviewed for that, the building was still being built, and they hired me accidentally. <laughs> they they lost my quarry, so that was all God. So I got hired, and then after being hired, they found you know I'd already been there. And, and there was a few different things in, in the making there. So I came from prison and where we were working a dollar a day. Yeah. And you work five days a week and you get $5 at the end of a week's work. And so um, when I got out and they were like, oh, you can get $10 an hour. I'm like, well, give me as many hours as yeah. I can get, you know. And so I was happy. I was, I was thankful for the job. I was only getting $10 an hour. I was thankful for it. The building was just being built. Um, they were setting up all these different programs. I mean, they had an indoor water park, uh, indoor rock climbing, fitness, all different uh, educational stuff for kids in the community. So I would work there, and 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 I, and I had a good spirit about everything that I was doing. And so the managers there, they would all need help, and I say, "Hey, if you ever need any help, let me help you." And so I eventually started working in like every different department, um, just helping. And then there were times where like, "Oh, um, you know, you're over the overtime limit." And I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. I'd go punch out and then just volunteer and continue to, wow. to help them because I, I liked what I was doing. I, I, you know, it was, a, it was a community center for the community. Yeah. And I liked the people I worked with and, and I liked getting paid. So long story short, they were going to fire me. They filed my court record. They were going to fire me. HR came from like New York or Canada yeah. or wherever they were from. And they said, listen, you know, they, they had my, my, my rap yeah. sheet, my criminal record in front of them. And, and they said, um, you know, the lady took like five minutes going over like one one charge. Yeah. And I just stopped her. And I'm like, like, like we're going to be here all day. Yeah. Like, she was like, was this you? She couldn't believe it was me. Yeah. And I said, no, like, like that's me. And I said, and everything that's in front of you right now, that's all me. You know, I said, but who I am today and what I'm, what I'm doing today, you know, I was still going to Boston University at the time and I graduated from a career development program and, and, and I said, you know, this is who I am today. And she was like, okay, well, we'll get back to you. Um, then like two weeks later, they called me back in and they said, well, how long did you do in prison? And I was like eight years. And they were like, well, how long have you been out? And I was like two months. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and so, um, so long story short, um, when I was going to Boston University, there was also another program called Partakers where these individuals, they set up groups to help you while you're incarcerated with your studying at, at Boston University. And so I didn't know at the time, but this woman who I now call my unofficial godmother because she's been with me in there in the whole time I've been out. And she was a judge. I didn't know that. I knew she, you know, she, she had a law degree, but I didn't know. She never told me that she was a judge. And so it was her, other college professors. They were a part of my group. And so they all wrote letters and made phone calls um, and called up the Salvation Army Croc Center. And they said, listen, like we put our names and our reputations on the line for Nicholas. And if you keep him, we promise you that you will not regret it. Wow. And so um, they decided to keep me. About two, two months later, they promoted me. So everybody who was my boss, I then became their boss. And that was like really weird. <laughs> they, sent me, they sent me on their first nationwide business trip that the Salvation Army ever had. So I learned more about business and all these things. And then I, so I came back. And yeah, so now I'm working full-time at the Salvation Army. I'm going to school at Boston University. And I'm running my own company on the side. And then it, it just started to become too much. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to have to stop something. Uh, I wasn't going to stop my, my education. And eventually it, it led to me um, only, 
you know, doing doing my, my business. Yeah. And so, you know, because of the things that I learned at the Salvation Army about yeah. business, uh, yeah. which I learned so much, I was able to use those things, you know, with my business. Yeah. And yeah, and it, it just started to grow from there. So it was all, like, when I look back on yeah. it now, it's crazy. Like, when I look at, you know, how far I've come, how many vehicles I own, how much money I bring in, it's just like, wow. Like, I had no idea yeah. that this was going to happen. Yeah. It, it wasn't a part of my you know, great yeah. plan or anything like that. Yeah. Since then, you know, I've been teaching a lot of people, you know, that I know, friends of mine about business and how to start up their businesses and, and you know, how to become, you know, financially de- uh, independent. And so, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's yeah. how that, uh, that's how that came about. Well, the lesson I'm getting from you is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll add all of this unto you. Amen. You've done that at every step along the way. And, you know, even the fact that you're here with us today when, when we met and I said, mentioned you about the, the podcast, you said, I'm there. I said, when can it work? Whenever, because this is, this is number one priority. So you've got businesses and people working out there today all over, but you're here. And God continues to add as you've put him first. And it, it, it's very inspiring. I know it is to all of us who are listening so I want to thank you for giving of yourself and you. what you're doing and the future is bright. This podcast was produced by Straight Ahead Ministries on a mission to reach every youth in every facility with the hope of Jesus Christ. This podcast was hosted by Scott Larson, recorded by Scott Larson and Barbara Picard, and produced by James Davis. Please take the time to subscribe, follow, and comment on We're Still Standing. When you do, you help raise awareness for youth in our juvenile justice system. To learn more about this work and join the movement to reach every youth, visit everyyouth.org.